Hello, friends. It's me, the president of Chickenlandia. Did you know that I have a new book that is now available for purchase? You heard that right. It's called Let's All Keep Chickens, The Down-to-Earth Guide to Natural Practices for Healthier Birds and a Happier World. It's now available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore, and more. For more information on how you can grab your copy, just click the link in the show notes. It's so exciting, I can barely handle it. Okay, on with the show. Welcome to Chickenlandia's 100% friendly podcast, Bok Talk. This show will help you learn all about how backyard chicken keeping can be fun, entertaining, and stress-free. Here's your host, the president of Chickenlandia! Hello, friends. Welcome to Chickenlandia and welcome to Bok Talk, your 100% friendly backyard chickens show. Today, I am bringing you something a little new and different. We're just doing so many new and different things this year, (laughs) but I'm really excited about this. Uh, It is called Chicken Chat, and it is a new thing that I am doing in partnership with my favorite chicken, which is my favorite chicken company. Um, We got together and we came up with this idea to do a live show on Facebook, So that is what we did, and of course, I recorded it for you guys, and now I'm going to play it for you in podcast form so you can get all that good information. So without further ado, here is the show. Okay, hello, friends. Welcome to Chickenlandia, and welcome to my first chicken chat in partnership with my co-host, my favorite chicken, which is one of my favorite chicken companies. And I'd like to give a very special welcome to the members of the Facebook group, Everything Backyard Chickens. I know there's a lot of you here today. I'm so glad you guys are joining me today. And I'm just super excited. Um, Today we're going, it's going to, this is going to be full of chicken information. It's going to 100% chicken, okay? (laughs) This whole hour. Um, I'm going to to discuss a little bit of very basic information, just a little bit, because I know a lot of you are new. So I want to just give some some really basic information. And then I'm going to move on to what I feel are like the most important aspects of chicken keeping. And these are things that I don't think get discussed a lot. So I wanted to give you something that you might not hear um, anywhere else, you know, not, not very often. Um, if you have watched my YouTube channel, you might have heard some of this stuff. But I think it'll be worth it for you to stay, even if you already have chickens. I think this will be good information for you. So I want to start out with some very simple information Um, That will help you if you are just getting started. Uh, Like I said, I don't want to spend too much time on this stuff because a lot of this you can find everywhere. I mean, there's like so many chicken educators, lots of really good ones. There's lots of great information about chickens online. There's many wonderful chicken books. So I don't want to just, you know, kind of rehash all the things that you may already know. But there's some basic things I think are pretty important. And you know, the first thing that I really wanted to talk about is how much, because I think one of the first questions people have is, do I have enough space to have chickens and how many chickens can I have in the space that I have? Um, so the general rule of thumb 
is that, and you will find this everywhere, you know, you need at least two to four square feet of space per standard size chicken within your coop. Okay. Now two is not very, two square feet is not very much space. Okay. So if you're going to go that low uh, with your amount of space, then you need to make sure that in your run or wherever you, you know, in your backyard, wherever you're keeping your chickens, um, that they also have additional areas where they can get out of the elements. Okay. If their coop is the only place they have to be in, like basically that's the only shelter they have. And let's say like they're out on pasture and they only have their coop, then you really want to make sure to have at least, I mean, more is better, but have at least four square feet of space per standard size chicken in the coop. And if you have an enclosed run, you want to have at least 10 square feet of space per standard size chicken. Okay. And I know a lot of people will, will be like, oh, you know, that's not very much space. Honestly, you know, when you think about it in terms of how most chickens live in the world, most chickens in the world have, have you know, they, they live in a tiny cage in a factory farm. So if I really think if you think of it in those terms and you don't overcrowd the space that you have, that your chickens will be very well taken care of and be very happy. Okay. And, and you know, you can put enrichment in their space, but I think that is definitely enough space for you to have chickens if you're wondering about that. I really recommend if you are getting chickens for the first time to start out small. And I know, I know that's, <laughs> that's hard because I've seen the chicken math infect people like really early on. <laughs> you know, I've, I've seen like the live, I've seen the play by play of the chicken math just like take over. But honestly, um, you know, if you start out small, you will have room to grow and you're going, you're going to want to grow. Like it, it is very, you know, it's a high probability that you will want to grow your flock at least a little bit. Okay. So best to start out small, one chicken per family member, um, unless you eat like a lot of eggs, everybody's situation is different and you might really feel confident about, you know, starting out with more chickens. Um, there are people that can do that and not get overwhelmed, but you know, when I think about me, when I first started, I kind of, I started out a little bit too big and I wish I would have started smaller. Okay. So I recommend, you know, one chicken per member of the family, but then a minimum of four chickens. So if you, if there's only two people in your family, you're still going to want to get a minimum of four chickens if where you live allows that many chickens. Okay. And the reason I say that is because of the pecking order. Um, you know, it's a reality sometimes that chickens get sick and they die or you lose one, you know, with baby chicks, sometimes one will fail to thrive. It does, you know, chickens are very resilient. I don't want to scare you, but that can happen. Okay. And if you only get two chickens and one dies, especially if they're baby chicks, you have a problem because, um, Chickens are flock animals. They really need other members of their flock to have, to feel secure, um, you know, in their dynamics of life. Okay. So minimum four chickens and a good rule of thumb is like one chicken per, per family member to start out with. Okay. And then you can like, it won't be too stressful and you can in the next season, when the next season rolls around, you start looking at those baby chicks, you can get more and feel good about it. Okay. All right. So, and there's a lot of information 
about how to care for baby chicks online. There's there's a lot of really good information. There's some great information just in the Everything Backyard Chickens group that you can look at. I have lots of free videos about it on my YouTube channel. I talk about it in my book. I talk about it in my online course. But one thing that I don't hear a lot um, is that, you know, when you get your baby chicks, when they're shipped from a hatchery or if you get them at the farm store, they have been shipped to that farm store. Very likely they have been gone through the mail and that is a very stressful experience for a baby chick. Okay. So one of the things I do tell new chicken keepers is to keep in mind what that baby chick has already been through. And they're, they're only like a few days old at that. And they've already gone through the mail. They've had this really stressful experience. So when you get them home, Definitely have that like cuddle session, you know, it's very important, especially for little kids they are going to want to hold that baby, those baby chicks. That's an important experience for them to have. But then you really need to make sure to give them some space and also make sure that they're eating and drinking. Okay. Because especially if they have been shipped to you, they, they have like a, a, a 48 hour window where they really need to get to feed and water after that first 48 hours. They really need to get to it. So make sure they're eating and dr- drinking and give them a little bit of time to like decompress. Okay. <laughs> and remember, like they've been through a lot. So you're not going to want to, you know, leave your kid unattended with them and the, the, they're picking up the chicks every five minutes, you know, Um, That's really hard on baby chicks and you can end up with fatalities that way. So that is one thing I really wanted to mention. And these are just really basic things. So what I want to do right now is um, just go through what I call um, Chickenlandia's six rules for chicken keeping. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I hesitate to use the word rules because that, that rule, that, that word itself is, you know, it kind of bothers me a little bit because I don't want people to think, well, you know, I don't want them to think that what I'm saying is you have to do it this way or you're doing it wrong. Like that's, that's not the Chickenlandia way. Like I, I will not say that because there are lots of ways to keep chickens. Okay. And if you're in the group, everything backyard chickens, you'll see that there's a lot of diversity in there. There's people that are practicing different things And that's okay. Like I will always say a chicken that's not in a factory farm is okay with me as long as they're being treated well. Okay. So every situation is different. I want you to remember that uh, as long as what you're doing doesn't hurt anybody, it doesn't hurt people, it doesn't hurt chickens, then I'm fine with it. You know, I, I just will say that there is the chicken landia way, but that's not the only way. Okay. So keep, keep that in mind as I'm going through these rules. So uh, my first rule sounds very cheesy, okay? (laughs) But I do think that it is actually very important. And in fact, it might be one of the most important rules that I tell you today. And this rule is listen to your heart. So what I mean by that is when in doubt, follow your intuition, Um. Remember that human beings have been keeping chickens for literally millennia, okay? We've been doing this for a long time. It is very likely that your ancestors have done it for centuries. And, 
you know, it's one of the most natural practices that you can do as a human being. Okay. Of course, we've been, you know, disconnected from it. And when you start out, you can, you can really feel like you don't know what you're doing, but you know, when you're with your chickens, when you're first with your baby chicks, when you, when you're keeping your first chickens in their, in their chicken yard, I really want you to take that time to try and connect with that lost part of yourself because inevitably you are going to come up against something in your flock, maybe an illness or an injury or something. And it will be hard for you to get clear answers about it. You know, you might go onto onto a Facebook group or you might go, you know, wherever into some kind of forum and say, hey, you know, I've got this problem and I don't know what to do. And you'll get all kinds of opinions back. And some of them will be extreme opinions. You know, they'll be like, oh, you need to cull your whole flock or you you need to tear your whole coop down or something like that. And that can be, um, that can be tough because it can put you in this position where you're like, gosh, I really don't know what to do. And now I'm even more confused than I was before. So in these situations, I think it's really important for you to just, just kind of take a step back and say, okay, I really need to follow my gut instincts. You know, what feels right for me in this situation? And just remember that if you make a mistake, that's okay. You know, we've, we've all made mistakes. I have made mistakes. Okay. And that is the way you learn. Sometimes we learn really, really tough lessons, you know, and, and we might feel really bad and guilty about that, but that, that is how we learn. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad chicken parent or whatever, but if you can kind of like bring that connection back into your life, um, and trust your gut instincts, I think that you will be better off. Okay. In so many ways, not just, not just chicken keeping, but in so many ways. So the next rule is chickens belong outside in nature. And some of you might be saying, well, yeah, of course they do. Like, why are you saying that? (laughs) But if you think about it, you know, like I said before, most chickens in the world are not living in nature. They're living their lives stuffed into tiny cages uh, in a factory environment. Now, I know that no, I very... (laughs) I can't imagine that anyone that is watching this right now is keeping their chickens in that kind of environment. Okay. But um, it's important to remember that a lot of the ways that we think about raising chickens, especially in the Western world, is greatly influenced by factory farming. Okay. So in factory farming, there's kind of this fear of the natural world due to how disease can spread in these factory buildings, you know, like when chickens are living in an environment that is not even really conducive to life, you know, because it's such an extremely stressful environment, you know, we, we do have so much influence from these factory farms, even if we don't realize it. And so there is kind of this feeling, especially with baby chicks to kind of keep them sheltered from nature. But I really feel like That is not the way chickens are supposed to live. Baby chicks have been outside, you know, with mother hens from the beginning. Like that's, that's their natural state. Of course, we can't just put baby chicks outside. They need heat. They need protection. Um, but you can expose them to out, to the outside with you being there 
Um, you know, and depending on the weather outside and everything, they can get that exposure safely with you in a protected environment, in a controlled environment, so that they can get um, that exposure and that resilience from the natural world. Okay, that's very important. So I always say from chick to to grown um, bird, they do need uh, they do belong outside in nature and at least, you know, baby chicks at least for a little bit um, as they are growing before they go out uh, to to live in the coop full time. So that's where they have existed for millennia and that's where they're supposed to be today. OK, so the next rule is focus on balance. So, you know, we know with humans that. We are naturally going to be more healthy if we spend our time in a balanced state. And, you know, if we're if we are stressed out all the time, if we if our living conditions are poor, if we're not getting outside, um, you know, if we if we don't have the right nutrition, eventually that kind of lifestyle is going to catch up with us. Um, and the same thing goes for chickens. Uh, keeping your flocks emotions and their environment and their nutrition balanced is very important. You will have way less problems if you keep an eye on just their stress levels and their nutrition and make sure that they have everything they need. Like you don't, you don't want to create a situation where there is overcrowding, where there's poor husbandry uh, practices and maybe they're living in, you know, too much of their own um, poop, <laughs> to put it literally. Um, and, you know, not not giving them enough enrichment in their space. Like all of these things are not, not protecting them from predators enough so that they're stressed out all the time because they're worried about predation. Like all of these things can really lead to illness in your flock, okay? And not only illness, but it can lead to like, behaviors where the chickens will, they, they won't be, their um, pecking order instincts will get out of whack. Okay. So you don't want that. So definitely just focus on balance. Doesn't have to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect and that's okay. But as much balance as you can offer, that's what, that's the goal. Okay. You know, it's the goal in, in my life, just in my life as a human being. And it's a goal in the chicken yard too. Okay. Um, choose natural practices whenever possible. Now, I, I know this isn't for everybody and that's okay. All right. But let me, let me make my case here. <laughs> you know, I'm not completely against synthetic medicines, um, or pesticides. In fact, I've definitely used them with my flock. You know, I've had illness in my flock before and I have had to treat chickens with antibiotics, um, you know, I have had to give chickens painkillers, stuff like that. Um, and that was my choice. You know, I, I, I made a choice to treat, treat these chickens and, um, I'm, I'm fortunate, you know, I can take chickens to the vet. Not everybody has that ability, which is fine. Um, but I do. And so I, I, I can make those kind of decisions. Um, so definitely these things have a time and place and, and I'm sure they have, you know, they have a time and place in my life as well, but they are not my, you know, I don't reach for them first unless it's my only option. So what I say is they're not my first option unless I know immediately that it's my only option. Okay. And the, the, the reason for that is that 
you know, what we put into our chickens and we and what we put on our chickens, it doesn't stay within them. It doesn't stay on them. It goes into the, to the environment because your chickens are living outside, you know, and they're, they're, they're shedding their feathers. They've got, they, they poop, you know, <laughs> they, they are, you know, whatever goes into them is going to end up in your ecosystem. Okay. Now, when we look at our local ecosystem, we'll see like the obvious things like the trees and other natural things. But what we don't see is that there's this whole universe of microorganisms that is in the soil. And that can be affected by everything we put into the environment. Okay. The, the micro world is not only important for our own health, like it's important for our health. It's important for our chicken's health, but it's important for everything on earth. Okay. So, you know, natural substances, they can still affect the microbiome. Like that's, that can happen. Okay. But in general, they are, they're generally safer for the environment. Okay. So I just want you to keep, to keep that in mind as like a, a, um, you know, like a foundation. And if you're someone that's like, you know what, I don't agree with you. I don't, I don't want to do natural practices. That's okay. We can still be cool. Okay. <laughs> in Chickenlandia. Everyone's welcome in Chickenlandia, but I do have to say, you know, I'm definitely very natural leaning and this is why. Okay. All right. This is the last one. Oh, wait, it's not the last one. It's the second to last one. Okay. Um, choose practices that are compassionate. Okay. <laughs> so when I say this, I'm not saying you should never eat your chickens. I, I don't, I don't, I personally don't eat my, my chickens. Okay. Um, but I don't pass judgment on anyone that, that does. I know that there are plenty of people probably in this chat right now, definitely in, in the everything backyard chickens group that do eat their chickens. Okay. And I will never pass judgment on that. Okay. And I'm not also not saying that there would never be a reason that you would need to, that, you know, that, that you would need to put a chicken down because that does happen. Okay. There might be times when you have to make really tough decisions with your flock. Um, what I am saying is that whatever you do have compassion for the creature in front of you as a sentient being, you know, that deserves dignity and respect. Okay. And I think that when we make a habit of doing that, um, and especially when little kids are taught to do that from, from the beginning, that feeling of compassion will naturally um, extend to your fellow human beings. Okay. And that's really important to me. And that's, that's one really important thing in Chickenlandia is that, you know, I don't, I don't just love chickens. I also love human beings and I want us to connect with each other through this ancient practice that almost every culture on earth has participated in. And it's in all of our common ancestry, almost all of our common ancestry. And that is really neat. Okay. I always say chickens are humankind's most amazing common denominator because they are, <laughs> they, they unite us. Okay. And so, um, I think it's a great lesson, um, that can be learned in the chicken yard to have compassion for, for other beings. Okay. Um, okay. So this is the last rule. All right. And then we will open up the chat for questions. Seek to live in harmony with wildlife, big and small. 
Now, this is definitely um, a button for some people. They they don't like it when I talk about this. And I, once again, I'm going to say I'm not passing judgment. Okay. But what I'm trying to say is that the ecosystem in your yard is very complex. Okay. It's more complex than it than it seems than than you know, it seems just when you're looking at it. Uh, we talked about the importance of being mindful of you know, not just the things that you can see in your yard, but literally like the microorganisms in your yard and in your soil. Okay. So that's what I mean when I say big and small. Um, but I also think it's a good idea to live in harmony with larger wildlife, you know, what we would call predators, chicken predators, which are many, many animals. Many animals like to eat chickens. Many animals like to eat eggs. And a lot of animals like chicken feed. Okay, <laughs> so they will come around. They will try to come around. It doesn't matter if you live in the city or the suburbs or the country. There are animals around you. There is wildlife around you, even if you've never seen it during the day, okay, or at night. They are there, okay? And when you get chickens, that little light bulb will go up in their mind like, oh, okay, there's a buffet here in this area. <laughs> so... The reason why I say we should try to live in harmony with wildlife is because if you kill off or or relocate all the predators around your chicken yard, and I'm talking about like skunks, opossums, raccoons, weasels, um, you know, those those kind of critters, if you kill them off or relocate them, you could very likely end up with an imbalance that will lead to a rodent infestation because these critters eat rats, okay? And once there is a rat infestation in your chicken yard, it is very difficult to get out of that situation. That's one thing where I'm going to say, like, prevention is, you know, that's what you got to concentrate on prevention. So at night, you want to Put the chicken feed, if there's chicken feed, you don't want to leave scraps or chicken feed out at night. You want to put it away in a rat-proof area um, or rat-proof container. Definitely keep your chicken feed in a rat-proof container because you just don't want animals to be coming around, rats to be coming around, or animals that are coming around that want that chicken feed or those kitchen scraps, okay? So, you know, it, it's tough because... Predator proofing can can be expensive. Now, with a lot of planning, you can bring those expenses way down. Or if you have a dog, that can really, really help. Um, and then, you know, just focus on putting away the feed at night and keeping the yard generally clear because also having a lot of, you know, junk around the yard, around the chicken yard. And I say junk, but I... <laughs> Like, like I, I mean, I've got junk in my yard. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not trying to say like, oh, you know, don't have junk in your yard. I got junk in my yard. Um, <laughs> but if you have like things in your yard where, um, there's like overgrowth around it and stuff like that's where you can get rats. That's where you can get snakes, stuff like that. Okay. So predator proof as much as you can. And try to live with, in harmony with wildlife as much as you can so that you can, so that the chickens can just be part of the ecosystem in, in your area, which extends beyond your area and ultimately the world. Okay. Okay. Now I am going to open up the chat for questions. All right. So Diane asks, 
Where is the best place to feed chickens? So it, it depends on your setup. You know, if your chicken coop is uh, rodent proof, then I would feed them inside the chicken coop if you have the room. Okay. Because then you can just close your chicken coop at night and you don't have to worry about, you know, that cleanup or, you know, leaving feed out at night and possibly ending up with an infestation. So what I would not do is water your chickens in the coop. And, and sometimes it works. I have ducks, so that will never work because um, ducks make everything wet. I, I think it's better to keep water outside of the coop, possibly in, a, in an area where it's not going to be like super exposed to the elements. But uh, with feed, wherever you can manage it best you know, I feed my chickens outside during the day, but I feed them fermented feed so they eat it all during the day. And then I, I will give them some scraps. And then th I I try, if I remember, to put their bowls inside their coop at night because their coop is rodent proof. So I don't even want rats to come around like smelling their, their feed bowls. Okay. So um, it depends on the size, the size of your coop, but feeding them inside the coop is, is fine. Do I need to, uh, Malia, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Malia, um, asks, do I need to provide a heat source for the chickens on the ride between purchasing at the feed store and home? It's a 15 to 20 minute ride. Probably not. Okay. You could, you know, get a, you know, a little, um, it's like a, a hand warmer, you know, those things where they sell it and you kind of crunch it up and it keeps your hand warm. Um, you could do that if you were very concerned and just put it in the little box that they're traveling in, but usually they're okay. You know, you want to make sure that the temperature is, you know, generally not too low. And it also depends on how many chicks you're getting. Like if you're getting three little chicks, just to be safe, you might get one of those little hand warmers, but 15 to 20 minutes shouldn't be bad. They will, they will huddle, huddle together to stay warm. Okay, but just make sure that when you get home that that lamp is already, you know, that you turn the lamp on and, you know, it's getting warm. Or if you're using a, a radiant brooder, it needs to be already be turned on. Okay, so that you can put your chicks right under it as soon as you get home. Okay, so Danielle asks, um, is there a method to introducing a new chicken to a flock? If you uh, need to do so. So, yes, there is. Um, there is a process. What it really involves is kind of like um, setting up an area so that the new chicken can see the flock. The flock can see the new chicken. There's only a fence between them or, you know, wiring or whatever between them. So they can get very close to each other, but they can't harm each other. So what I call it is separate but seeing, okay? And when they have that time, you know, it could be depending on the personality of your flock, it could be a few days or it could be a couple weeks. Okay. Um, when they have that time to, to get really get close to each other, but not hurt each other, they can kind of work out some of those, uh, pecking order dynamics without doing damage to each other. Okay. I do have a video about that. Uh, if there is a place, I don't even know because I've never done a Facebook Live before, but if there's a place to put that link, I will put that link in the description if that's available. Um, if not, it'll be in the show notes. I'll put that link in the show notes um, when this goes out in podcast form, okay? 
Um, so Julie asks, how do you stop bullying? You know, when somebody tells me there's a bully in the flock, the first thing I will ask them to do is to evaluate their practices. And this is not me passing judgment at all. Okay. Um, but it's important to remember that when chickens start with that, those kind of behaviors, sometimes it can be stress. You know, something has happened. There's Im imbalance in the flock that has caused them to kind of, you know, overreact to things that they're, they're kind of just over playing out the pecking order. Okay. Um, certainly if there is illness in the flock that can cause bullying, like the, the sick chicken, they may not even appear sick, but they may be getting attacked. And so in that case, you need to remove that chicken and treat them or whatever you need to do. Um, and sometimes there's just a chicken that is, you know, kind of acts like a jerk. Okay. Now there's always going to be somebody on the top of the pecking order and there's always going to be somebody on the bottom. That, that is nature. That is chicken nature. So it's important for us to remember, like, look, uh, you know, we're, we're human beings. We can look at, at some flock behavior and say, oh, I can't stand that. I really don't like that. But we need to remember that that is natural chicken behavior. Okay. And there's a reason why they're, they're doing those things. And it has to do with the protection of the whole flock. Okay. If there's not blood being drawn, if there aren't chickens that are hiding all the time, you know, a chicken that's hiding all the time because they're getting relentlessly bullied. If there are not, uh, you know, chickens that are being kept from food and water all the time to the point where they're like losing weight, you know, there's always going to be a chicken that is like, there's always going to be chickens that get to the food and water first. And they're the top of the, of the pecking order. And then there'll be chickens that have to wait. And when everybody's gone, then they'll go and eat. Okay. And they're lower on the pecking order. And that is normal. Okay. But if you have a situation and it is just too much, you know, you could remove the bully from the flock. You can either put them where they're, where they're still like separate, but seeing, but they can't roost with their flock at night. And sometimes that will take them, you know, uh, down a notch, or you can remove them completely from the flock for a little while. Um, you know, maybe a few days, try to integrate them back again. If, the, if it's still happening, you can, um, you know, do it for, for longer. And what happens is, is when they're away from the flock, they, they lose rank. Okay. And hopefully it will kind of like reset things. Um, I do use flower essences with my flock. Uh, I will put that in the show notes as well. There's a podcast where I talk about flower essences. And I think there's, yeah, it's a podcast where I talk about flower essences and what they, what those are is they're kind of like homeopathics, but, uh, more on the emotional side of things. And sometimes they can help kind of adjust that behavior, but I will put that in the show notes. Uh, Kathy Miller asks, can you feed your chicken chickens eggshells without cooking them? It depends on how nervous you are about uh, bacteria. I, um, like I said, I'm very natural leaning. I do believe in some exposure to things. Um, I do believe that that builds resilience in a flock. That being said, you know, if a chicken is exposed to some type of bacteria, there is always a chance uh, that they could get sick, you know. 
So you may want to bake them for a little while. Um, I, I can't remember what my recommendations are, but the, it's not, you don't have to bake them for a really long time. You just, just enough to kind of kill off that bacteria. You know, um, there is some thought that it might be good for them to get some of, you know, some of that bacteria, but you know, if you're nervous about it, you can bake them, but yeah, you can, you can, you can definitely, people do it all the time. I do it all the time. I get, you know, I give, I'll give them the, the, uh, eggshells without baking them, but if they're really poopy, you wouldn't want to do that. Um, so Becky Johnson asks my new chicks I bought at the feed store are scratching like crazy. They are three days old. How should I treat them? Well, I mean, I would make sure that they, it, it, it is unusual for baby chicks to get mites or lice. Okay. Uh, you know, if they're, it's, if they do have that, then there's some conditions going on in that feed store or the hatchery where they came from that isn't, isn't great. Or if they're exposed to your older flock, maybe that can happen, but it is, you know, it's not, it's not real common for baby chicks to get mites and lice. So I would definitely check them over and see if, something is going on with them. Um, you know, it is normal for baby chicks to preen themselves. Um, and if you're not used to seeing that behavior, you might think, well, gosh, they're just doing, doing this too much, but, um, they will preen themselves. That's a net, that's a natural behavior. They're just, you know, practicing and, and doing what they need to do to stay clean. Um, so I would make sure first, that they they actually have something going on because that that would be an extreme situation that they have uh, mites or lights ha lice happening. Okay, Timothy Ross asks, why do my baby chicks peck my hand so much? <laughs> well, they love you. They're looking for food. You know, <laughs> hopefully they're not trying to eat you. Uh, Betty asks, I have treated my chickens twice for roundworms. It has been two weeks and I am seeing diarrhea again. Now what? Um, you know, what I would do, Betty, is uh, if, if, if possible, because first of all, uh, different parasites need different medications. Okay. And it, it could be possible that it's not even roundworm that you're dealing with. Um, if you've seen roundworm in your flock, then that's, that's one thing. But if you're only seeing diarrhea, I wouldn't, you know, I don't feel as confident that it is 100% roundworm that you're dealing with. Or you could, what another thing you could be dealing with is a secondary infection. Okay. So if, if it is possible, and I know this isn't possible for everybody, but if you can get a fecal, a, a fecal test done, that will really help. Because it, it's important to know what you're dealing with before, um, especially if you, you know, you've tried some things and it hasn't worked, you need to know what you're dealing with. Okay, so if you can do that, definitely do that. Um, another thing to understand is that, you know, seeing diarrhea or what looks like diarrhea with chickens is not necessarily a bad thing. Okay, it depends on how it looks. And without seeing it, it's hard for me to to say there are a couple of um good blog posts one is from the chicken i think the chicken chick has one and also fresh eggs daily has one 
And it's like, you know, here's all the different kinds of chicken poop and here's what's normal and here's what's not normal. And they're really helpful to like, look at that and learn like, okay, you know, chicken poop can have a lot of variation. Um, and sometimes we might think, oh my gosh, they've got diarrhea, but it's just, it's hot outside. And so they're expelling more liquid and it just looks, looks, you know, it, it looks like they're sick and then you realize, well, they're not really sick. This is just a natural bodily process. So there is so much variation of normal chicken poop. I would recommend going online and, and just really trying to compare what you're seeing in your flock with what you can find online and decide whether or not it's normal. And if you can do a fecal, I would do that. Okay. What outdoor temperature is safely not too cold to take baby chicks outside for a few minutes to explore outside in an enclosed chicken run. This is from Rachel. Um, I would say above 50 and sunny, you know, um, or, you know, just not, just not wet. You don't, you don't want it to be wet. Um, if it's, if it's wet outside and it's 50 degrees, that's, that's going to be tough for them. But even then, like if you could put them in a, in a, like maybe like a Guinea pig cage uh, that had has a bottom to it so they're not getting wet and they can just be outside for a little while just to kind of get that air, um, that would be good. And definitely stay outside with them. And the other thing that you don't want to do is make sure um, that there aren't adult chickens that can get to them because they will kill them. Like that, that will happen um, or they could seriously injure them. So you don't, you don't want that. Um, they, they need to be integrated into an adult flock. Um, and once they get a little bit older. So yeah, I would say generally 50 degrees, sunny is best, um, but definitely dry. And you can tell when baby chicks get cold, get chilled because they will start to peep. They will call you. They will say, I am cold. Okay. So just keep an eye on them. Keep them out just for a few, just for a few minutes. Um, if they were with mother hen, they would be straying away from her. They would be getting out from under her body and then going back under, even in that kind of weather. Okay. Uh, Shelly asks, can baby chicks continue to eat their starter or grower feed until they begin to lay? Uh, yeah, they can. I would, my, my general rule is starter feed until they either start laying or they hit 20 weeks, whichever comes first. Okay. So if they're at 20 weeks and they still haven't started laying, even if it's like in the winter or whatever, and the days are shorter and they're not going to really start laying until after the winter solstice um, or the, when the days get longer, I would start giving them layer at that point. Okay. And if, the, you know, the, if they start laying before that, like let's say they start laying at six, 16 weeks, I would just give them all, so start them all on layer feed at that point. Okay. Whitney, uh, Jonathan asks, what kind of bedding do you use in the coop? Well, it's funny. You should ask Whitney. <laughs> um, right now I'm using hemp. I got the new hemp bedding from my favorite chicken and it has uh Dukashi in it, which is like a odor controller. And I really like it. I just did a video about it. It should come out next week. I really, really like it, okay, because there is, like, no smell in my coop right now, and I'm doing deep litter, and it seems to be really good for deep litter. Um, that being said, it is, I think it's more affordable if you have, like, a smaller coop. Um, I have a really big coop, so for me to do hemp, if I wasn't doing deep litter, it would be more expensive for me. Um, and if that's the case, if you need something at a lower price point, 
just go with pine shavings. Like I, I haven't seen anything that really convinces me. There's some people that are like, Oh, you shouldn't use pine shavings because of the same reason that, uh, people steer away from cedar shavings inside the coop because it, they're, they're concerned that it could be, uh, harmful to their nasal passages. Okay. To their respiratory passages. I haven't seen anything that really convinces me of that for pine shavings, but if you're concerned about that, you could you could go with hemp. Okay, it's very low dust. It's just it's different. Um, I know a lot of people use sand. I'm not a huge fan of sand, but for some people they really love it. And if it, I just say if it works for you, do it. Okay. Right now I'm using the hemp bedding and I'm really liking it. Okay, so Paula asks, I have a Rhode Island rooster. His feet have a reddish hue near the webs of his toes. No swelling or difficulty walking. Could this be Bumblefoot? He's not gentle, so I don't want to pick him up if I don't have to. Um, it could be just hormones. Uh, because a rooster's legs will get like a reddish, you know, it might get like, um, you know, patches of red from hormones, from hormonal, that hormonal shift that happens, especially if he's going into his first spring. The, the hormones are going, the hormones are going to come with them into that first spring. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's without seeing it, I can't say for sure if it's something that is wrong. Um, and I'm also not a veterinarian, so I can't offer any kind of diagnosis, but you know, generally I'm like, okay, if they're not limping, if it doesn't look like an injury and if you don't, you know, if there's not swelling, then I probably wouldn't worry about it too much. Okay. But what you might want to do is like Google like rooster feet, hormonal changes or, you know, and so you can see some pictures and see if that's what's happening. And I, my guess is that's probably what's happening. Um, uh, Erica asks, what are the best products for chicken gut health and immunity? Well, you know, one of the things I love that it's not a product, but it's something that I love to do is I really like to ferment my chickens feed. And the reason I like to do that is that not only does the process of fermentation um, make the nutrients in the feed more bioavailable to the chickens. In other, in other words, it's more easily digestible, okay, and more easily absorbed. But it also expands the feed. Um, and so you can save money doing it. And some people will say, well, you're just adding liquid and it's expanding the feed and they're not getting more calories. And but actually, because it makes the feed more bioavailable to them, they're getting more out of every bite. So to me, that's a great practice that will help get that good bacteria into their bodies. So I love doing that. Right now, I, I use uh, scratch and peck feeds. Um, I love fermenting their feeds. And there are, you can even ferment pellet feed if you want to, but you there are some pelleted feeds that they just do not ferment well. Um, so be mindful of that. And they might have ingredients in it that just doesn't ferment well. You want it to kind of smell a, a little tangy and a little yogurty, you know, it, it, it may sm smell a little bit like sweet, um, but it shouldn't smell rancid. So keep that in mind. Start out small with a really small batch and um, practice. And it's just, it's fun and it's easy. And I do have a video about that. I will put that in the show notes um, so that you can check that out. But 
that's really what I like to do. You can also add, you know, a, a tablespoon per gallon of water of, of apple cider vinegar, um, and that will help get some good some good nutrients and bacteria into them. I know my favorite chicken has herbs that you can give to chickens that you can put in their water that I really like. I can't remember. I think there's one that's just called it's like immunity. So I I really I really like that. Um, and then another thing that you can do that, you know, if you don't want to buy something prepackaged or you just don't want to purchase anything is you can grow some oregano and thyme and oregano and thyme are such good herbs for chickens. Like they, they have so many medicinal properties. You can grow it, you can give it to them, um, fresh, you can dry it and sprinkle it into their feed. Um, they're not going to overdose on it and it's going to help. It's just going to give them extra nutrients and also help with their immunity. So um, that's one thing that I that I like to do, and it's very simple. Okay. Um, Angela asks, how can I treat my entire flock for scaly leg mites? Some are really bad. Oh, gosh, my heart goes out to you, Angela. Um, I absolutely hate scaly leg mites. <laughs> it's my nemesis. I hate it. Now, let me tell you. There's a few ways you can go about this. Um, you do need to treat your whole flock. The easiest thing to do is get yourself a bucket, you know, like a bucket or a big bowl, you know, maybe like a big saucepan or whatever. Fill it up with oil, like cheap oil. And I'm, I'm not talking about motor oil. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about vegetable oil. So go to Costco or wherever, get a big gallon of oil. Fill that, whatever container you have with oil. Take your chickens one by one, maybe get a baby wipe, wipe off their legs, dip their legs all the way into the oil and put them back on the roost, okay? And it's easy, it's easiest to do this at night, to pluck them off the roost at night because during the day they're gonna be acting crazy and it's gonna be hard to catch them and they're not gonna like it, okay? So if you can go in there, you know, get a headlamp, put put on your headlamp or bring your flashlight and pluck them off the roost at night, dip them into the into the oil, put them back on the roost. Do that every few days for two weeks, okay? If you have ones that look bad, like they're swollen, um, their feet are deformed. Um, sometimes their, their toenails will get very long, you know, because they're not able to pick and scratch. You can tell like they're very uncomfortable. I would separate them from the flock, bring them inside if you can. Um, and they can all be together. You can put them in an area where they're together because they know each other. It'll be fine. Get some A and D ointment, and put the slather their legs with that A and D ointment, okay? And that's going to help with it. Will help with the infection, and it's very soothing to them. It'll help with that irritation, and it'll also kill the mites, okay? It'll suffocate the mites really well. But you really want to slather it on their legs, um, clip their their toenails. You just do it just like you would a dog. You want to watch out for the um, the wick, and you don't want to cut them too short or they'll bleed. Um, have some quick stop. I think it's called quick stop, like to stop the bleeding. Clip their toenails, and in their water. If you're someone, you know, I'm someone that uses homeopathic medic medicines. Not everybody is into that, but if you are somebody that is open to using homeopathics, 
I would put a couple of um, pellets of arnica in the 30C potency into their water and to, to help to bring that swelling and that pain down. Okay. And you will see, don't, don't try to scrub their scales off. Do not do that because you can create a secondary infection. Okay. Just let it heal naturally. It is possible. And, you know, put on every few days, you're going to put that A&D ointment on for about 14 days. Okay. And be patient. That swelling should come down and they should, they should really improve. Um, and it's possible that their scales will never look perfect again. And that's okay. But as long as it, you are noticing that it's not getting worse or anything, it's probably that there's no mites there, but that their scales just did, they just didn't go back to normal again. Sometimes they'll go back to normal after they molt, but other times like they just, you know, I've had scaly leg mite in my flock a couple of times because I rescue chickens and, um, there are a few that just, it just, it, their legs just didn't go back to normal, but they're, but they look fine. They're not in pain. They're not swollen, nothing, but they do have some raised scales. Okay. Uh, Pam asks, how do I break my chickens into a new coop? If it, if the coop is big enough, I mean, I would just put them in at night. So, um, you know, when they, when they go to roost at night, go in take them off of that roost in their, in their original coop and then take them to the new coop and put them on the roost in the new coop. And, you know, depending on what you're trying to do, I'm assuming that the, the old coop is like not there anymore. Um, or it's in another area. Um, they'll wake up in that coop and, you know, hopefully that will kind of orient them into where like, Oh, I slept here all night, you know, <laughs> That's what I did when I moved. I or last year or like a year and a half ago, I moved from closer in the city out, you know, further out into the county. And so um I loaded up my chickens at night and I put them on the roost at night. But what you want is for them to only have access to that coop if you want to make sure that they go that they go into it and they start to recognize it as their home. If it's big enough, you can keep them in the coop and the and the weather permits if it's not too hot outside or whatever. You can keep them in the coop for a few days. So they get acclimated to it and they naturally go up to roost at night and that will become their home. If there's an attached run to it, you can let them out during the day and they, they should naturally go up into the coop, okay? If they're babies and they don't go up into the coop, there's a couple things you can do. You could put a little LED light inside the coop and naturally at night they should go up to that light, okay, and go into the coop. And then you need to go out there and turn it off because you don't want it on all night. The other thing is you can just go out there and put them on the roost like their mother hen would. Like their mother hen would show them, hey, you need to go up to the roost now. Um, you need to go into the coop now. And they might not know that. Like sometimes new baby chicks or, or they're adolescent chickens. They're fully feathered. They're ready to be outside. But they're like, I don't know how to do this chicken thing yet, you know. <laughs> and so I'm just going to sleep right here under the coop, you know. It's like, no, you want to sleep in the coop. You go out there put them in the coop, put them on the roost. Okay. There's no, no harm in doing that. All right, guys. I know that there are so many more questions. I'm sorry. We are at an hour right now, so it's probably time for me to wrap this up. 
Um, I want to thank you all so much for joining me today. This was actually really awesome. And thank you so much to the folks at My Favorite Chicken for sponsoring today's event and for partnering with me on that. And I also want to thank everybody in the Facebook group, um, Everything Backyard Chickens. If you have not joined that group, it's definitely a great group to join. Um, You know, as far as Facebook groups go, I think it's the best one. <laughs> so it's got the Chickenlandia approval. All right. Um, if you'd like to check out some awesome products, definitely go to myfavoritechicken.com and check out what they have to offer. Um, I will leave a link for you in the show notes. I want to thank you guys so much. And I also want you to remember above everything else that you are always welcome in Chickenlandia. <laughs> Bye. Dahlia Monterosso, also known as the president of Chickenlandia, is a backyard chicken educator in Northwest Washington. To submit your question to Bok Talk, visit welcometochickenlandia.com. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.